Hi, everyone, and thanks so much for tuning in to the Sharegiving Podcast. If you haven't yet subscribed, we'd be grateful. I'm Rob Stoller, your host, along with my brother David, who has been caring for his wife Barbara since she was diagnosed with early-onset Alzheimer's over a decade ago. Although it is obviously difficult to reduce a dozen years of caregiving down to a few hours, David's experience can be invaluable to our sharegiving listeners, regardless of the disability's severity at the time. Today we conclude a three-part series examining sharegiving across the arc of this insidious disease. Today's installment, called A Parallel Life, describes David's attention to his own needs for stimulation, socialization, and ultimately meaningful companionship, while still providing loving care for his wife, Barbara. David, let's talk about A Parallel Life. Sure. We concluded last week that I was prepared to take a step into A Parallel Life. I'd actually been living a parallel life, um, all the while caring for Barbara with my understanding, intuitive and explicitly, that I needed to take care of my own needs, which included my fitness, my interests. I've been an avid reader and I continue to be finding time to do that. Uh, My writing, which uh, had really picked up in the years uh, after Barbara returned from rehab. Um, So I was living a parallel life in in those terms, attending to my own interests. The idea of going further than that, as encouraged by uh, the professional that I talked to, as well as my daughters, of um, meeting people and maybe meeting somebody else that could be the companion that I no longer had. Well, that's that's kind of the long-term play, but initially you're really just seeking companionship. Yeah. Conversation. Yeah. Human interaction. Correct. Uh, Which let's call companionship. I could see suddenly really going in these two tracks that were uh, parallel, that were clearly in proximity to one another, but were different. And um, while I had resolved, I think, in my own mind, this ethical quandary we talked about of doing this and maybe meeting people, maybe meeting someone and having a relationship while still married, um, you know, and to the extent that presented an ethical dilemma, I think I had resolved that. And uh, I think my uh, daughters did too, at least in theory. And theory and practice are two different things. So the first thing that I For want, you too. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you say you resolved it, but right, that's all relative. Yeah. Uh, so the, the first thing that I wanted to do before doing anything was uh, get some additional counsel from my rabbi uh, and maybe a close friend about how they saw this you know, as an observer and as somebody that knew me. And suffice it to say that in those cases, uh, what came back was very supportive and really affirmed the value and the importance of doing this, uh, which was, you know, a relief. And just to remind 
everyone, including myself, that I think the real critical juncture here is your acknowledgement that you were lonely. Yeah. And loneliness is a debilitating situation. And I'm not a psychiatrist or a psychologist, but I know if you spend too much time lonely, it's going to have an impact on you. And that can affect your health, mental, physical, yeah. and otherwise. I don't think I ever would have thought of myself as uh, being a person that was lonely, but yeah. but that articulation was powerful and yeah. a, a real uh, seminal moment in my own life. And I think all of these are kind of, um, in some way, cautionary tales. If you're listening to this and any of this rings true, um, don't deny it. So, uh, for the most of that year, following the conversation, the three the caregiving, I moved ahead slowly trying to figure out what this might mean. Uh, one of the things that I did was talk to, you know, a few friends. As it turns out, they were all women, which leads me to think that uh, women always benefit. They always have their girlfriends. It's great for women to have girlfriends. I think it's great for guys to have girlfriends, too. <laughs> We need girlfriends. We don't have these kind of mutual support groups and conversations I the same I way. Don't, I don't need girlfriends <laughs> right now. <laughs> I think we all need girlfriends. But uh, anyway, as it turns out, a couple of women that I knew uh, and good friends uh, said to me, uh, well, would you like to meet somebody? Uh, we'd, we'd we think that would be great, and we'd like to introduce you, all of whom, by the way, knew and cared very much for Barbara. Yeah. So, which in itself was somewhat validating as terms of a way forward for me. And uh, I will say this, uh, you know, reducing the details to a bare few. I ended up, as my shrink said, of trying to think of somebody and um, laboring over writing the simplest email imaginable, <laughs> inviting somebody to have coffee. I mean, I felt like I was 15 years old mm. and uh, then waited anxiously to see if there would be a response, mm. recognizing that my invitation by itself was pretty cryptic. Like, why? Uh, what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> why, why would they want to? Why would they want to join you for coffee? Yeah, exactly. So as it turns out, the person that I uh, identified, uh, yeah, was happy to do it. And we we met for coffee a couple of times. We had dinner, which was great. But clearly, this was not whatever it was or whoever it was that I might be interested in or seeking. Uh, it was not she. But I had sort of broken through yeah. uh, to the first, being able to do it. first step is the tough step. And uh, looking back on it with some amusement, although I was to repeat the same process with everybody, I took pains in the beginning as we talked of explaining my situation. <laughs> you were like Felix Unger. <laughs> exactly. And trying to make sure that this was understood and... Mm. And hopefully it wasn't too weird, and if it is, you know, one of those conversations, mm. yeah. including my daughter's talk. and Clearly, 
it's an awkward situation. Yeah. But anything that's awkward becomes less awkward the more times you encounter it. Right. And then another one of my girlfriends, uh, actually two of them, they're, they're a pair, I recommended somebody else. And I once again had a couple of dates that were really interesting, but again, no real interest. But I was getting out, and I have to say it was fun being on a date. Well, without even trying to, you were doing things for you. Right. About you. Right. And then probably a year into this, as I look at it, another one of my girlfriends said, I have somebody I think you'd really be crazy about, and you guys would just work. And set me up on a date with the person that I've been seeing pretty much since, uh, Sharon. And, you know, felt really good uh, from the beginning. And of course, she, looking back on it even now, but back then was like terrified and thought this was probably a really bad idea. <laughs> she was probably getting input from her friends. She was definitely getting input. So, anyway, uh, so there was and is someone. Uh, and then I needed to decide, once I thought that this is something that may, you know, have, uh, you know, some real life, then what do I do? Because, uh, you know, this next step was almost as difficult. And so, analyzing it, the first thing that I did, we did, was meet all of her close friends. Because if there was going to be a stop, this is probably the first place it was going to take place. If her friends said to her, and you know, she was insecure enough about this, that you know, you're, you have rocks in your head. Uh, so we did uh, over uh, you know, several weeks. And you know, uh, on the other hand, and I've thought about it a lot, and I've you know, watched this whole thing. Uh, on the other hand, it's a whole two-way street, and I'm guessing that Sharon was lonely also. Yeah. Yes, even though, again, she didn't really... Uh, Probably didn't feel admit that, that way. Yeah, was busy she and walk around feeling yeah, lonely, and, but yeah. that's the fact. Yeah. So we met with all of her friends. Sure enough, there was some pushback that we actually dealt with. Uh, because you could imagine, uh, Sharon might say to somebody, I met this great guy, and, uh, you know, feels really good. And they could say, oh, well, you know, tell, tell me about him. Tell me about him, yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, he's this, and he's that, and he's this, and he's married. Uh, back up, what was that? Yeah. <laughs> he's married. So, and Sharon, uh, you know, had to go through her own explanation. That was stage one. Stage two was uh, equally difficult for me, more difficult. It was easy meeting her friends and trying to present well. Then I had to tell my daughters and my family because I didn't want this to be a surprise or and you certainly don't want anybody to hear it from anybody else. Anybody else. So I had to, I called my daughters one by one 
I talked to you, I talked to Lee, and the last one I talked to, excuse me, was Ma. And that was the hardest <laughs> of all the conversations, surprisingly. I'm sure the anticipation was the hardest. The anticipation. The conversation was much easier than I thought. And, but, you know, with my daughters, um, and this, again, is also telling, because these are all, uh, you know, this is all about feelings, and this is when we said there's theory and there's reality. Um, they all had different reactions. Mm. And without ascribing those reactions, one was completely accepting and thrilled and thought, wow, this is fabulous. Dad, you deserve this and really happy. Another was um, super cautious, like, uh, I've got to process this and, um, and the like. And one didn't really respond and, in fact, still hasn't. Uh, uh, and I've had a conversation and the one word that was used there was, um, it's a hard word, and I don't think it was relating to me, I think it was relating to her feeling, uh, and that being betrayal. Which brings us back into sort of the, the ethical or personal quandary. And uh, I do believe that her feeling was, and uh, perhaps is, and I think time will be important here, but feeling that somebody should stand up for or defend, you know, mom. You know, that uh, sort of the last outpost. And um, I understand it. And in fact, I know what that is because because I am that and when Barbara uh, kisses me and hugs me and says I love you which she does uh, you know I feel well I feel love for her but I feel great sadness and because I do see the desert rolling out right behind her shoulder as I'm uh, hugging her so yeah so those were the reactions mm. and you know, they've continued with some moderation. I think the one who's cautious is more accepting, hasn't necessarily embraced the idea. Uh, the one that thinks it's great is, in fact, you know, wanted to meet and is met. Uh, Sharon, and, you know, is happy. And, well, you have, and uh, my sister has, and our sister, and our mother, who, uh, you know, Incredibly, you know, this is, has really embraced her. So, but for anybody that goes through this, this was part of the process. And then the last group that was equally sensitive for me was Barbara's friends, our friends, yeah. our friends, our friends for 41 years in some cases. Your friends, Barbara's siblings? Yeah, coming to that one. Yeah, that was the last. That was the hardest. As it turned out, it was the easiest, but it was the hardest. And our friends, and I would say to a person or a couple, surprised me that they were so supportive. Because people caught another glimpse of David 
being David, and you're you're happier. Yeah, and it was not really a question, as they would all say, of my commitment to the public. I think that was pretty well established. Yeah. So that is an ongoing process, little by little, and I think that was really important for both meeting family and meeting friends uh, together. So they would meet this person. While it was important to meet her friends, because that was a real judgment issue, to meet my family and my friends similarly was incredibly affirmative for her if she worried about that. Uh, so it was a big deal. Uh, finally, meeting Barbara's family, a brother and sister. I did that by way of first a carefully written message, an email, inviting a call, but wanting to say as carefully as I could what was happening. Then the response was, you know, fantastic. It, Go with God. Yeah, exactly. Uh, both happy. I mean, obviously so sad about uh, their sister and, uh, and undoubtedly have some concern about their own well-being as they look into the future. But um, those tracks were all run, you know, for me and for us. Again, another, all of this, ideally, other than telling David's story, it's a story with a purpose. And that purpose is to help people who find themselves now or can see themselves in the future being in this situation and dealing with this ethical quandary and most importantly, being aware of maintaining their own health and happiness. Right, and, and I'm thinking of Jeff's side statement, whether it was on our podcast or not, uh, he said one thing that struck me as so important, being in integrity with oneself. Yeah, you had said that. I don't know that we talked about no, that No, we did but it just rings so true. And, um, and, you know, this process that I followed in this relationship was with some deliberation. And I think the result of it is that it was really strengthening and... Um, you know, while it's obviously impossible to predict the outcome, I don't know what's going to happen with our lives, with Barbara, with me, with, um, you know, Sharon. Um, we could clearly uh, share a desire to continue and a mutual happiness and a sensitivity on her part. You know, she's actually been here and met Barbara, even though it was like any other person that we've recruited as part of our network to bring lunch and yeah. share, and that's the way Barbara received her. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and, uh, there are going to be wobbles along the way, uh, certainly on and, her part. And, you know, before, before even this all took place, there, were, there are videos, there are a lot of videos of you know, all kinds of situations where uh, a, a girlfriend or a new girlfriend takes part in the caregiving. Right. Not a lot of videos, Rob. There's like two or three. 
Well, then I saw both of them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, that Smith, was before. Bay Smith and her husband and uh, newscaster. This is a whole. This whole subject is untouched. Yeah. For the and and I think it's so important. And I'm happy that we're sharing it. And I would say that David's tale also is kind of reassuring that your friends are your friends and they care about you. And as David's found out with, you know, all the people around him who now kind of know what he's going through, what he's doing. Many of us have met Sharon and she's, she's a wonderful, lovely woman. We just want you to be happy. Right. You know, there's not a heck of a lot we can do for Barbara right now, except whatever we can do and try to make her feel comfortable in whatever way we can. But you have a lot of life in front of you and we want you to be happy. Right. And I think you all can, I think, be reasonably assured that your friends want you to be happy as well. Right. And, and I think really well said and, and really should be encouraging for people out there that are in this situation and are apprehensive about how uh, something like this could be uh, received. You couldn't feel otherwise yeah. going into it. And, and you know, even now there's a, a really a peculiar and necessary choreography that we experience that's unnatural for a normal relationship of, you know, trying to make sure that we make time and their schedules around caregiving and around events and the still um, carefulness about shared behaviors and this and that that yeah. I think are inevitable and and bottom line still a uncertainty about the future it's not like a normal couple might you know be making be plans. A, be able to make plans yeah. and you know the thing that I shared which is the old Quaker saying, which I first found reading uh, Blue Highways by William Least Heat Moon, which is fabulous, but it's an old Quaker saying, and he went across the country traveling only by rivers, Blue Highway, and was always portaging to the next river. It's great. But his printed on the front of his boat or whatever was Proceed as the way opens before you. And uh, that's what I've shared. <laughs> and she'll, she'll say, I know, I know. Proceed <laughs> as, as the, the way, way opens. opens before you. Well, I mean, that, that takes in a lot of, I'm sure there, I know there have been times where you've encountered people with Sharon who only knew you with Barbara. Correct. And everything is still, nothing is a given Everything, there's still some apprehension, I'm sure. Um, but by and large, I think you've found that people... Accept it. I mean, accept it because they want you to be happy. Yeah, and, and I would say that... Because they love you. You know, one of the, uh, I, I guess, the, the sweetest expressions of that, without reading the whole thing, is Barbara's brother, who basically, upon reading, wrote back to me and concluded saying, I, I never doubt your commitment to Barbara's well-being. Your heart is large enough to love in many ways. Mm, yeah, and that was an amazing letter. That's a, a beautiful thing, and that's true, you know, for all of us. Yeah. We all have, you know, great capacities. Sometimes we don't know about them until 
certain exigencies. Uh, it's it's, know, it's that old it's that old up. empathy again. You know, yeah. I mean, empathy is plastered all over this entire dilemma. If you have empathy within you, then you really want what's best for everybody involved. Mm -hmm. And that's hard to know, but you certainly have to allow someone to find out what that means. Yeah. Okay. Parallel life. Is that it today? Oh, Is that it for that's the parallel life? That's it. <laughs> okay, Dave. <laughs> All right, everybody. It's a big topic. And we'd certainly love to hear from you about this, about your life, about anything related. Please go to the website at sharegiversolutions.com. There's a contact page where you can leave your information and, uh, and your comments, questions, criticisms, endorsements, all of that good stuff. We'd love to hear from you, and we thank you so much for listening. So long. Thanks so much for listening today. We understand this was an unusual and somewhat controversial conversation, and we hope you found it relevant and meaningful. There is overwhelming evidence that dementia caregivers suffer inordinate emotional and physical deterioration when they ignore their own health while caring for their loved ones. Isolation, loneliness, and guilt can be debilitating, and depression in that caregiving community is exceedingly common. While our message today is not simply to go find a girlfriend or a boyfriend, it is to take care of your needs outside of what will inevitably become, as with David and so many others, a thoroughly diminished relationship. Please tell your friends about Sharegiver Solutions, particularly those caring for a loved one with dementia, of which there are almost 20 million in the U.S. alone. I would urge you to access the website at sharegiversolutions.com to tell us a bit about your situation, experiences, failures, triumphs, questions, advice, and your reaction to today's podcast. And keep in mind, help is all around us. We need simply to seek it and ask for it. Sharegiving is a great place to start. So until next time, sharing is the way of caring, and singing makes you feel good. Come on, David, let's sing. I got wings, you got wings, all God's children got wings. When I get to heaven, gonna put on my wings, I'm gonna fly all over God's heaven. Heaven, heaven. When I get to heaven, gonna put on my wings,